G'day everyone, this is Greg Ryan and welcome to episode 45 of Rare and Resilient 1 in 5000 podcast when we're talking IARM. and today we are joined by Lily who is an IARM adult, 19 years of age from Washington State in the United States. So welcome to the podcast Lily. Thanks for having me on Greg. It's a pleasure to have a chat to you and you've got a remarkable story to share. You were born in China, Lily, weren't you? Yes. Yeah, so I was um, born in China in the city of Hangzhou, and I was with my biological mother for a little while, and then I went, um, she took me to a shopkeeper where I stayed with them for a little while, and then the shopkeeper ultimately ended up taking me to the orphanage around when I was nine months old, around that time, we don't know exactly. And then I was actually put into a foster family where I stayed with them from nine months old until I was adopted at age five and a half. I was born with Bacterol. So I have the B, A, R, and L portions. So I was born with the tether cord variant of caudal regression syndrome, cloacal anomaly, uh, atropic left kidney, and then club foot. So I had surgery around when I was one to repair my club foot. And then I had some sort of reconstruction done when I was around two. I never got a colostomy, which is really surprising um, considering so many kids with IARM, you know, get colostomies within the first, you know, couple of days of birth. I didn't get any surgeries for my IARM until I was almost two years old, which is you know, not really heard of. <laughs> yeah, that then, that's amazing. And is that because of where you were born to be able to get access to the right healthcare? Yes. So like the, I got that initial reconstruction when I was two and that was, I think, through the orphanage. And then my foster family tried to take me other places. They took me to Shanghai for help. But I mean, there, no one really knew what was going on. They didn't really have knowledge then. So I basically lived being incontinent, like both for urine and fecal incontinent. And then I also had that tethered cord. So that was causing a lot of issues with, you know, bowel management and me like being able to empty my bladder. So I would get constant infections to the point where the reason why my left kidney is so small is because I it's scarred over because of all the infections I had. And by the time I got to the States, I believe there were like sores in my bladder and stuff like that, just from the like repeated infections. So I was, I had to do genomycin infusions for a while. My mom had to treat me with that for a little while. So I was adopted when I was five and a half and my mom basically, uh, my mom and dad researched and, you know, got me to the best place where I saw a whole team of doctors and they diagnosed the tethered cord, which was causing me to fall so much. My mom, I believe, said that she was really surprised by how uneasy I was walking. I would walk a couple steps and then stumble or fall and stuff like that because of the damage that the tethered cord caused. And so I got that released pretty soon after my adoption when I was still five and a half. And then I got the PSAR VP the summer right a little bit after I turned six so like that was like a whole redo surgery and then after that I ended up getting a Malone when I was seven wow that that's just incredible what you've been through if we can just sort of like start 
where you mm-hmm. meant you mentioned that your mum took you to a shopkeeper. So, what is a shopkeeper in China? We don't really know. It was just like one of those things where my biological mother just left me with in the care of that shopkeeper, and that shopkeeper took care of me for as long as they could until they took me to the orphanage. So we don't really know the whole situation there. We have the address of the shop, but we don't really know the whole story behind that. Oh, okay. Now, I know it's not uncommon at all for Chinese children born with IARM to be adopted to the United States especially. So would you just like to talk about how your adopted parents um, went about the adoption? Yeah, so I was one of the few kids that was put on like a global list for adoption. So usually the way adoption works is you go through an agency and the orphanages in the country you're adopting from will give you children from the orphanage that works with that agency. But I was actually put on a global adoption list. So anyone in the world who was looking to adopt could have adopted me. And they had to fill out so much because I had complex medical issues. They had to fill out like form after form, stacks of paperwork. They had to get a doctor's signature to sign off and say that they can take care of me, that this isn't too bad of an issue or too, you know, far gone from them to take care of me. And I think my mom said that she had just gotten some doctor that my Nana, who's my mom's mom, so my Nana knew to just sign the paperwork. Turns out that doctor didn't really know anything about IARM, but he signed the paperwork really fast. That's when my parents were able to submit everything and then choose to adopt me. And that's kind of how it went. So I, like, they came to China and I met them and we were in this room and then, you know, it just kind of went from there. Oh, it's an amazing story. And and at that stage, they were aware of your IARM, but they probably weren't aware of the other vectoral issues. Would that be right? Yeah, so they kind of knew what it was, but they didn't know, like, to the extent of how bad everything was and stuff. And, like, I myself was aware of those issues, actually. Like, I, in the notes, you can see, like, where uh, my foster mom wrote down, like, oh, like, Lily asks me why I can't go to the bathroom, like, why she can't go to the bathroom normally, like the other kids. So I was very aware of my issue and stuff. And so like my parents knew about it, but they didn't know how bad until after we got, I had been seen by specialists. Right. And did you go to school in China? I went to like a part-time preschool where, I mean, I did just learn how to read, write and sing songs and play. And it was kind of like, I think it was a half day preschool. So I would spend half the day in the preschool and then the rest with my foster mom doing whatever chores or whatever we need to do that day. Right. And how did your condition affect you at that school? I guess it was one of those things where I I think, if I'm not mistaken, I think I wore a diaper all day and stuff. Yes. And I, you know, I noticed the other kids my age because the memories that I do have were from when I was five. So I have those memories. Like, you know, the other kids at school weren't, you know, wearing diapers, weren't soiling their pants and stuff. And they're able to use the bathroom normally. I couldn't control anything. And, you know, I just knew I was a little bit different. So when you had the the surgeries in the States, 
What did the doctors actually say to your parents about how much damage that might have been done as you were growing up without having those surgeries at an early age? Well, I, you know, was seen by colorectal, urology, neurosurgery, and gynecology. From like urology standpoint, my bladder had like sores all inside of it from the repeated infections. And then, like I said, my kidney was scarred over. It only works at 10%, my left kidney, but my right kidney ended up being fine. And it's been fine all throughout the years, which is a blessing. And then from like colorectal standpoint, remember when I got my barium enema done, the contrast study that they do to, you know, see like the shape of my colon and everything like that before they did any surgeries. Like, I remember my mom telling me that the doctor was like, wow, that's a lot of poop. Like I was severely really constipated and stuff like that. And, you know, I would either not poop very much or poop all the time. And my mom was like, yeah, I think after that contrast study, you must have pooped for like two or three days after that. How did you adjust going from China to America and starting with a whole new family and starting with schooling? I don't exactly remember how I was feeling, but it was probably a very confusing time with the whole language gap too. Like the only words I really knew were like the few words that my foster sister had taught me. She taught me like, mom, dad, brother, and just a couple little small things, hello, goodbye. But I actually picked up English very quickly. So I was adopted in November. And then by December, I was able to understand like the little sentences my parents were saying. And I would repeat back sentences from my parents or from my brothers, because I have two brothers and then a younger sister that was also adopted later. And so like I learned English pretty quickly. So the language gap wasn't too bad it was definitely different like you know adjusting to a different family you know style where I had two brothers now instead of like a older sister and then I guess the hospital stuff didn't really surprise me because the way I saw my adoption was okay I'm going to go to America get the surgeries to make me all better and the doctors there are going to help me because I knew the doctors in China couldn't help me yeah as I said, I, I'll probably keep on saying the word amazing, but that's what it is, really. It, it truly is. Now, how did you adjust to the schooling with after you had your surgeries? Because imagine you had your surgery sort of like when you first arrived. How did that mm-hmm. change when you went to school with the uh, bowel management, etc.? Yeah, so um, we started on enemas pretty soon after I was adopted, like after one of our first meetings with specialists and my mom also started cathing me pretty quickly too. Every three, four hours and at night too, she would get up at night to cath me to make sure my bladder emptied all the time. But I'd say after the surgery, so I had my PSARP reconstruction, PSARP BP reconstruction in the summer before school. So I re- I had the PSARP done Then I was recovering and I started kindergarten like two weeks later than everyone else because I was, you know, still recovering. But in school, throughout the entire time where I wasn't in school, before I started school in America, my mom was homeschooling me. She taught me everything. And so by the time I got to school, I was doing very well. I knew how to read um, really well and, you know, talk. My was able to speak really quickly and 
I pretty much adjusted right into school pretty seamlessly. I know that my mom volunteered at my school just in case, you know, I had any issues or anything. So she'd be close. And then I did have like a 504 plan so that I had to go to the nurse to get cathed every day. But that was pretty much it because my enemas were working well and I didn't really have too many issues there. I only remember like a couple of accidents that I had. And at what age did you get them alone? When I was seven. Right. Okay. And let's, yeah. let's talk about how that changed your life. Yeah. So, I mean... It was, it's a lot more comfortable. Obviously, no one wants to have something go up into their butt and make them poop that way. And so the Malone, like, really, you know, gave me more independence in the bathroom and then more privacy, too, because my parents would help me mix everything up and then make sure that the catheter went in okay. And then as soon as, you know, the catheter was in and we started up the solution, I was allowed to just, you know, do whatever, draw, read, or do whatever to pass the time. And it really gave me like the privacy of the bathroom. And then as I grew up, you know, my parents stopped, you know, making this solution for me. I made my own recipe and I do everything myself. So it's really like easy to do and just convenient. And it's been working well. So when do you give yourself the flush, morning or evening? So right now I'm doing them in the mornings before classes. Okay. Well, we're going to get to that because (laughs) you are currently in college. Yes. Studying to become a pediatric nurse, aren't you? Yes. <laughs> I In my senior year of high school, I applied to several colleges, and two of those colleges had what's called direct admit nursing programs, where you apply during your senior year to the school, and then you apply to their nursing school at the same time. And I was directly admitted into both of the schools I applied for. Actually, during my senior year, I had to have a redo PSARP, so I was in the hospital, and then during one of my last recovery days, I got an email from one of the schools saying, you got directly admitted. Now, I didn't end up, ultimately end up choosing that school. I chose the other school, which is Gonzaga University, so I ended up in their um, school of nursing as a direct admit. During my senior year, I was accepted, and I accepted their offer. And I basically started, you know, all of my prereqs last semester, I did have a nursing class. And then the next coming semesters, I'll have like more upper division nursing classes and stuff and really like dig into the nursing curriculum. Right. Now, the redo PSAP. So at what age would you have been about 16, 17 when you had that done? Um, I was 18. Okay. During my redo PSARP. I had it done the fall of my senior year of high school, so fall 2021. How come that came about? So I was having some issues with my flush and some like bladder issues, like, you know, leaking a little bit. And it was during COVID that I had these issues. So I couldn't go see my urologist who was on the other side of the states because you know the airlines were down just covid and everything so he sent a referral up to the hospital in my state for me to see like neurosurgery because we thought we were like oh maybe i retethered like my spinal cord had retethered so i got mri urodynamics done and that came back like fine and clear and so when i got that referral i ended up seeing the whole team at the hospital 
And so they did like, you know, a whole new set of tests and stuff. So they did an exam under anesthesia. And that's when they found that like my anoplasty was a little bit too far back. And so then I was in like, did more tests, like pelvic MRI, anorectal manometry. And then after like a lot of back and forth, I was, I chose to do the redo surgery. I was doing really well with my flush and cathing and everything up until around like a year before my redo. So my flush was going great and stuff. But then like all of a sudden things just weren't working like they used to. And, you know, that's when we thought I had retethered, but that's when I got the referral to see the other team. Right. And did they say that could have been caused by the damage of when you're in China and not getting treated? I don't think so. Um, we don't really know why that was that happened, but yeah, it just happened. And yep. so I just ended up getting that redo. Okay. And how, how have things been since you had the, that redo done? Things have been going pretty well. I had a little bit of a bumpy patch, like trying to find the right flush recipe because all the parents out there who have to try to figure that stuff out know it's a giant puzzle and it comes with a lot of, you know, different things like, oh, what food did I eat? Oh, like this is causing cramps, you know, just it's the whole puzzle of figuring everything out until you find the right recipe that works best. Right now I'm at a recipe that works really well for me. And so I'm doing well now. And th and that's really good advice to parents as well, because a lot of it is trial and error, isn't it? Yes. And unfortunately, the trials come with not so great consequences. <laughs> I totally understand that. I know we're going, flipping back a bit then. How did you adjust to when you be, were becoming an adolescent and the, all the different things, the changes in the body for a woman, etc.? One of the other diagnoses I have is, is called MRKH syndrome. So that's basically one in 5,000 females were born without a uterus or vaginal canal or very underdeveloped uterus and vaginal canal. I ended up having a very underdeveloped uterus and vaginal canal. So when I had my reconstruction done in the U.S., I actually had like a hysterectomy and then I believe they removed my left fallopian tube. And then they also did that vaginoplasty at the same time when I was six. So I didn't have to deal with like periods or anything like that. But like my mom told me when it was, you know, time to tell me when I was like 11 or 12. And then, you know, I always felt a little bit awkward, not just because of IA stuff, but also not having a period. But, you know, that's just something that I work through and stuff. And then when I was around 12, my mom sent me to Youth Rally, which is an amazing camp. Um, I'm sure you've heard about it. I love yes. that place. And ever since that first year, I've been going back okay, until I graduated. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk a bit more about Youth Rally and how that impacted your life. Yeah. So believe it or not, I was actually not very happy about, like, I wasn't, I wasn't the most excited to go to Youth Rally because I'm like, oh, like, I don't know about this. You know, it was just me being, a, you know, a little bit of a, oh, I don't want to do this thing. Oh, it's going to be lame. Like, how fun could a camp with, for medical kids be and stuff? Because, you know, I never associated medical stuff with being fun or anything. Yes. But I went and my first roommate, because they match you up with roommates when you're there, my first roommate, um, ended up having almost all the same things as me. She has a couple more of the Vactual letters, 
but she and I are very similar and we still keep up to this day. I FaceTime her, call her probably at least once a week. And then we met like one of my other best friends that I text and Snapchat back with. And it was just like a huge, like, I don't know, it was life-changing. It opened my eyes to see that like, oh, I'm not the only one. And there's other kids my age. And they really helped to normalize like poop and pee stuff. It's like, oh, it's not a big deal. And then they also really helped me with like confidence and growing up and knowing that I can be independent because all the counselors there also deal with bowel and bladder issues. And so it really taught me like, oh, I can do this. I can be independent. And so, yeah, it's really life-changing. And what would you recommend to uh, young young adolescents or young teenagers who are considering going to the youth rally now? What would your recommendation be? Although I think I, I know would... what you're going to say. <laughs> yes, go like, a thousand times. Just go and have fun and meet people and, you know, everyone understands, even if you don't have the exact same thing. Like one of my other friends, she has Hirschsprungs, but she also has a Malone. And so even though we don't have the same thing, she and I completely understand. And she'll text me about something and then I'll text her about something and or we'll call each other. And she's like, Lily, you're one of the only people that I talk to about any of this stuff. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, you too, you and my other friends, you know, and it's just amazing. You make lifelong friends there. Yep. Now getting onto that about um, talking to someone, you, you're very open with your, uh, your condition and on social media, et cetera. And that's how we connected through the uh, one in 5,000 group. And mm -hmm. when did you, make that decision to be very open about your condition i really definitely started small one of my best friends outside of rally i didn't tell her until my third year of youth rally i called her on the phone and was like hey i have this stuff going on i just wanted to share it with you because it's a big thing that impacts my life and so I just thought that you should know. And she was like completely understanding, really supportive. And then from there, you know, I would tell another friend and then another friend until, you know, I was super comfortable. And then like by my senior year of high school, when I did have to have that redo surgery, no one knew exactly that it was like, you know, PSARP surgery, because I mean, I don't go around sharing all the time that, oh, I had surgery on my butt during my senior year. Like, that's just, that's yeah. not something I really needed to share. But they all knew that I had medical conditions that I was getting surgery for. And so I remember one of the last days I was at school before that surgery, I go to a private, I went to a private Christian high school. Everyone in my grade, all the seniors, there were only 36 of us, but all of them were in the room and like my teacher asked me before if it was okay, but they all laid hands and they prayed for me before I went to go get my surgery, which was super encouraging. So all of them knew that I had medical issues. And then just like, I just would tell people if they asked, like I wouldn't go out and tell everyone, but you know, if they ask, if someone cares enough to ask, I'm going to tell them, you know, what's up and stuff. When I asked for people if they wanted to come on the podcast, you were one of the ones first ones that said, put your hand up. And did you have to have a think about that, whether you wanted it to become public? 
Yeah, so this is actually my third podcast talking about all of this stuff. But I remember for the first one, I was really like, oh, do I want to do this? This is my first time like going public. Like, you know, I don't know, but I just honestly just took that leap and it really pushed me to be more open and public about it. And at this point, I mean, I'm normalizing it for other people who may be going through similar situations. I see it as an opportunity to normalize it and to spread awareness about it because it's not something we should ever be ashamed of. Thanks for that. And that's really good advice to for parents and for teenagers who might be having to listen to the podcast. Lily, what was the reason that you decided to get into nursing? Is it was because you've been a patient all your life? Yes, I would say that has played a really big role just because, you know, being in the hospital so much, a lot of nurses have impacted my life throughout the years, like whether they were clinic nurses, whether they were inpatient med surge nurses, like all of them have had a little place in my heart. And especially during my last hospitalizations for my surgery, the my nurses that I had, I had many different nurses and they were all wonderful. And it was kind of like a sealing the deal type thing when I was cared for by them because they just like were so compassionate and caring and took such good care of me. And then like, I guess the other thing is I never really had a nurse, like though they were all wonderful, none of them, you know, could relate with what I had been through and stuff. And so I think being a nurse, because I want to specialize in pediatric colorectal or pelvic reconstructive medicine. And so I feel in my heart, like as me becoming a nurse and specializing in that field and working with kids who've been through everything, like who are going through everything that I've been through, it just adds an extra level of connection. And, you know, I can relate with you and just like the empathy I can give and um, to help the kids and their families, because a lot of the times, you know, parents are like, oh, like what's going to happen in the future. But being a nurse shows them that, no, your kid's going to be fine no matter what happens. They will still be able to live full lives, have whatever career they want to have. Great advice, and I'm sure that when you're a nurse of a child who's going through a, a colorectal or urological condition, to be able to empathize with them and know that you have been down that road, it would be just priceless for the, the parents, I have no doubt, and for the patients as well. Now, you've had some good news today about from the doctor about your, your urological issues. Yeah, so for a little over a year, like after my surgery, I was recovering. And then in December, I got this really bad kidney infection. And since like after that infection, I had another kidney infection the next month. And then a month later, I got another UTI. And so in the span of around six months, I had four UTIs. Two of them were kidney infections. And so because of that, in October, I went on to like, you know, a long-term prophylactic antibiotic. But throughout that year, I was also struggling with a nausea issue where I had persistent nausea and I would just feel sick a lot. In January of this year, we found out why. And so I was put on antibiotics for that to, you know, uh, it was a bacterial infection and that was like causing really bad inflammation in my stomach. And so I was on antibiotics for that. And I was on antibi like the prophylactic antibiotics for the UTIs. 
But once I got off of the treatment for the infection, the stomach infection, my nausea got a little bit better, but it also didn't get fully better. So I was looking at the side effects of all the meds that I was taking, and that one had nausea as one of the side effects. So I haven't had like a UTI since the beginning of school. And so I messaged my doctor and I was like, hey, is it okay if I go off? You know, I've had the treatment for the infection and nausea is one of the side effects of this medication. So is it okay if I go off? And she said, yes, like, you know, she's all for me going off of the antibiotics. So day one being completely antibiotic free. Oh, that's great news. Now, let's talk about your parents. First of all, why don't you give us their names? Laura and Steve. (laughs) That's wonderful. And just because what they've done is, you know, they did change your life. So let's just talk about how the impact they have had on your life. Yeah, I mean, yes, you know, they chose to adopt me and everything, but having them as my parents, I couldn't honestly have asked for better parents. My dad was in the military at the time, so he was not there for all of my appointments and surgeries because he had to take care of my two brothers at the time. And then we did adopt my sister. He had to take care of them while I was, you know, going to appointments with my mom or getting procedures done with my mom. So my dad was like, taking care of home base, as we call it, and keeping the fort. And my mom would come with me to all the doctor's appointments, but they both had enormous impact on my life. I mean, my mom helped me to, you know, advocate for myself and to ask doctors questions. I remember when I got a little bit older, my mom would just have me write down any questions that I had for my doctor. And she taught me to like, not be ashamed of the questions I asked because of, you know, the nature of the questions that we did have to ask because it's about poop and pee and stuff like that. But she never made me feel ashamed of having anything. And she wanted me to ask all the, any and every question that I wanted to. And then my dad was always there to be the shoulder for me to cry on or just the rock there and to, you know, pick me up when I fell down or to make me laugh when times are hard and stuff. And so they've had just enormous impacts and I could not have asked for better parents. Well, I'm sure they'd be absolutely so proud of you for the 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 young woman that you've turned out to be. Now, you just mentioned then that you might've had some ups and downs. Have you had any issues with your mental health? Yeah, so I've, you know, there's a certain level of like, oh, I can't tell, like, especially when I was younger, Like even after my first year of rally, it's still kind of one of those, it's a taboo topic in society still. It's like, you know, oh, we can't talk about bowel movements. Oh, we can't talk about our reproductive system or urinary. Like we just can't talk, like we shouldn't talk about that stuff. And there's, you know, some guilt and shame growing up, like living like that sometimes because I was all hush hush about it too with other people outside of my family. I mean, now I'm not really. But it is more of a taboo subject and I've struggled. And sometimes, you know, you do feel truly alone, even though I knew people who were like me and stuff. Sometimes, you know, the feeling of being alone does get to you. And so I have struggled with my mental health off and on throughout the years. And did you ever get any therapy or? Yes, Um, it wasn't until last summer that I started therapy but I've been going to a therapist and I still go see her 
every other week and it's really helped a lot. How has it helped just coming to grips with what you've been through or just dealing with the day-to-day regime of what you have to do with your flush and and dealing with infections, etc.? I think it is a little bit of both. So it's helped with like me being able to talk and, you know, be able to talk about what's happened. If I've had a hard time, I'll tell her. And if I've had, you know, good, good stuff happen, I'll tell her that too. But she's really helps me to like talk it through and to give me exercises and things that I could do to help, especially like I have a lot of anxiety around going under anesthesia, which is, you know, very common for kids like us, you know, getting a medical procedure done, getting anesthesia. I had this thing where before I go under, like the week leading up to going under, like I wouldn't be able to fall asleep as easily because my brain would associate that with being put under anesthesia so I wouldn't want to fall asleep sometimes and so she's just like helps me work through those feelings and work through like the anxiety behind it and just talk talking through and giving me stuff to do to either keep my mind off of it or try to teach me that it's okay to feel like that and sometimes we have to sit in those feelings for a little bit but ways to pull ourselves out of the like that feeling. In retrospect do you wish you had a start of the therapy a bit earlier? Honestly, I think that I started therapy at the right time for me. I did go through a period during my freshman year where I I was going through like a depressive episode. I still don't really know why, but it was just something that I went through during my freshman year of high school. And my mom was worried about me. And so she, you know, like was like, hey, we can we can get you help. We can take you to therapy and stuff like that. Then there was like back then there was like the stigma around going to therapy and stuff. So I was like, oh, no, like, I don't want to go like, you know, I don't want anyone to know stuff like that, though. My mom did her very best, like, oh, none of your friends have to know, like, we can keep this as private as you want it to be. It's just something that I think would be good for you. I still (laughs) refused, but I was able to pull myself out of that ditch and get better. And then that summer after my senior year, that's when I was really like, oh, I really should go to therapy to talk through some of the stuff that I've been through. And I really think that I did start at the right time, even if I was reluctant, like my freshman year and stuff like that. I did get a lot better after that, but I think I really just started when I needed to start. Yep. Fair enough. If you were talking to a younger girl who's just even starting to go to high school, whatever, and dealing with all your conditions, what would your be your greatest advice to her? I think my greatest advice would be one, go to youth rally, um, yeah. meet some great people there. It's basically like a second home, go to youth rally, make friends, put yourself out there. And then I guess my next one would be like, don't be ashamed of anything that you can't change and anything that has happened to you because this is just the way our bodies were made and this is just you know we were made like this and there's nothing to be ashamed about it it's just something we have to deal with and then it's also not a burden on anyone else like you asking for help with things and stuff is not a burden on anyone else like just be okay with how you are like just learning to accept yourself and how you were born and 
using that um, to help others. Well, I'm sure that anyone who's listened to this podcast will understand how inspirational you are after what all you have endured throughout your life and to be in such a wonderful position now and going to college and learning to become a nurse, I know that it will have an impact on so many people that are listening to the podcast. I sure hope so. I don't want anyone to ever feel alone in their struggles. That's what we're here for, hey? Yes. So, Lily, I can't thank you enough for joining the podcast today and... I have no doubt that people who listen to the interview will have will have so much respect and admiration for what you've gone through in your life and how you are now and what you're doing with your life. I, I can't thank you enough for sharing your story with us. Of course, it's been such a pleasure. Thanks, Lily. Bye-bye. Bye.